0: Midweek, where we have conversations about theology, culture, and all things Shades. I'm joined in the studio with John Mark and Jonathan once again. How are you guys doing today?
1: doing pretty good. I just got one question for John Mark. Oh, S- man. Seen any more documentaries lately?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did watch a documentary last night. I am not surprised. <laughs> if you really want me to answer this, uh, <laughs> it's about... The creator of the show Everybody Loves Raymond and how they – he got a call one day from some creatives, I guess, in Russia because they turn a lot of American sitcoms into Russian sitcoms. It's
1: very controversial right now. And so
2: they – well, this – yeah, this was like several years ago. Um and so the whole thing is about him going, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond, going to Russia and creating a Russian version of that show.
1: Where do you find these documentaries? I feel like we do <laughs> not even look in the same place for what we're watching.
2: You just got to find it. You just, just got to just gotta find it. I don't know. Well, well
1: Any- yeah,
0: we don't want to have too much small chat today. Right? Why is that, Jonathan?
1: It is because we have uh, a very special guest. Today. Yes, it is. Um, So we are joined in studio today by my good friend Thomas Wilder, uh, the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church of Collegeville. And uh, Thomas and I met, um, goodness, it's been, has it been two years now? Two years. Wow. Um, About two years ago. We both started in the doctoral program at Beeson Divinity School. Thomas is still bravely marching on in that program. I quickly discovered I am not at a phase of life where that's, that that works very well for me, so my, my studies are on pause. Um, Having 15 kids is preventing it's, it's, that? It's a thing. It's okay. a thing. Um, but. But Thomas has graciously uh, agreed to join us uh, today. He, he preached here at Shades yes, um, not too too many weeks ago. Beautiful uh, two, sermon. Two weeks ago, yes. Two weeks ago. Out of Galatians. Um, the uh, courage of conviction. I remembered that off the top of my head. Yes. I'm very proud so of I'm that. I'm glad. <laughs> courage <laughs> of conviction. Um, yeah, fantastic message. But I, I just knew that we had a, a chance to have him. Uh, come in for the podcast and our body just to get to know him even more. So, Thomas, thank you for my pleasure. Thank for you for inviting us. me. Absolutely. To, to get us started, I would just love for everybody to hear a little bit about you, about your story. If okay. you could just tell us kind of where you're from, kind of a little bit about how you grew up, and maybe lead us towards your call into ministry.
3: Okay. I'm from a place called Aliceville, which is where um, my parents and grandparents were from. I grew up there and uh, moved to Birmingham after I got out of college. But uh, growing up in Aliceville, I, uh, my parents were teachers and had a very close-knit family and extended family with cousins and everybody else. Uh, grew up in a, in a pretty segregated environment, started a school in segregated schools, and, and really didn't know a lot about that because our community was very much intact. You know, we There were certain places we went, and so we had fun there. We, so I, I didn't have to interact with a lot of other people. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, my parents thought it would be a good idea, for whatever reason, to send me to the all-white school. Wow. And uh, so I went to the all-white school and was a, a little ma- amazed at some things, uh, such as people not thinking that i could do the same caliber of work of other people mm-hmm. and and i never had that in all the all the grades that i've been to because both of my parents are teachers they expected the the best out of us right and and so we were used to delivering the the best and when i got there i, I remember one of my first uh, oral tests was a spelling bee we, we had a teacher who would call out the words, we would write them down, and then we'd take our papers up to her to be graded. Well, it was no big deal. Spelling at one point was one of my better subjects, so she called out the words. I wrote them down. I went up to her desk. She graded my paper. I made 100. I came back, turned my paper face down, and I could see all these kids really curious about what I made. And Mm. when they found out I made 100, they would just flabbergasted that I made a hundred and I was surprised that they were flabbergasted because spelling is just spelling. <laughs> uh, so, so I, I grew up in that and. A- around what year was that? Cause that was middle school. Yeah. I was in the sixth grade and I started school when I was about seven. So I was probably about 13 at the time. Okay. Uh, my birthday is later in the year. So it, in Alabama at one point, if, if your birthday is after I think October 1st or something, you had to wait the next year. So I was almost seven. So. Uh, I was probably about 13. But anyway, grew up grew up in that and um, came, to, came to faith just out of desperation. I, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, Cumberland Presbyterian. And uh, I was baptized when I was nine initially, but really didn't understand what baptism was about. And then a friend of mine and first cousin was in an automobile accident on decent on October thirteenth, nineteen seventy-three, and he was killed, mm. and that really sent me from a faith standpoint into a tailspin because mm. I I did not I did not understand why he died, and I remember his grandmother in her in her uninformed theological way said that the reason why he died is that there was sin in his house mm-hmm. and that sent me into a feather tail spin because who has not who does not have sin in the house mm-hmm. and and her her point was that God was punishing their family because there was sin in the house and i i just i just could not accept that i i just i could not believe that that the god that i had been in church and heard about all those years We just randomly pluck. He was he was fifteen at the time. I was going towards sixteen. Could pluck a fifteen year old kid out of the air and just, I mean, just kill him
0: Hmm.
3: for nothing. And and so that sent me into just a real serious rebellion, religious rebellion. I went, kept going to church because I had to. My dad was an elder in the Presbyterian Church. My mother was one of the missionary leaders, and so I, I had to be there. But just inside, I I was messed up until I finally started reading Christian. I I read a lot of material, not just Christian. I read Christian material. I read Jehovah's Witness material. I read some Muslim material. I read just a number of other things, just trying to make sense of life Hmm. because it just did not make sense. It just did not make sense. Hmm. And what it came down to, after reading all the materials I I read, all the different religions that I read, Christianity to me made the most sense and had the most hope. The others said, you live here, you do good, you're dead, you're done. Or you hope to come back as something else or whatever. But in my very ignorant 16 year old naive way, looking at the claims of Christ, they made more sense to me than anything else. And, And so I made the decision with God's guidance to to accept Christ, and after that time, my choir sang at a youth group, it was an interracial youth group, which was almost unheard of at the time in Aliceville, and I met this guy named Bubba Cameron, Uh, he began to just sort of pour into my life some things about God and about scriptures, and, and he seemed to know more scripture than anybody I've ever seen in my life, and... So Bub and I became quick friends, and and so he and his wife Betty just poured a lot into my life, and that's how I began to mature, and I stayed in the Presbyterian Church, stayed faithful to to the church I was born into, but but that's how I sort of came. When I was uh, 21, I think 21, 22, I was in college, my last year at Alabama, and just really felt impressed that God was calling me into the ministry, and and I I fought that too because I said, okay, God, if you're going to call me in the ministry, when I became 16, people kept telling me, you're going to go in the ministry, you're going to go in the ministry. And I said, okay, God, if you want me to go in the ministry, you need to tell me now because if not, I'm going to Alabama in business school. <laughs> and I never heard anything. My last, Next to last semester in business school, I, I filled the call. I said, are you kidding? I, mean, I spent <laughs> four years in a business school. Why are you calling me now? Uh, yeah. and, and, and so part of my spiritual discipline is always try to, to fast and pray. So I, I spent three days fasting and praying and just really felt that God was calling me in the ministry. So I used to call the ministry. Uh, my last year in business school, I uh, went through the course of studying to come to Presbyterian church. And it took a couple of years to go through that. Uh, then was finally ordained and started pastoring First Church, Presbyterian Church, pastored that for four and a half years, left there. I was asked to go on staff at the Baptist Church, went on staff there at the Baptist Church, stayed there two years, and then I was called to Bethel, and I've been at Bethel ever since. Now, at what point there did did you get married? 19 September 3rd, 1983, uh, I got married And when I, the first day, just, just, you know, I I would be born the next month, (laughs) (laughs) but thanks for making me feel young and vibrant there, Jonathan. I really appreciate that. Um, But the the first day I was at Bethel, the first day I was asked to to speak, my second daughter was born Mm. that very same day. We went to the hospital that morning about five because Michelle had labor pains and so I went and I had to speak at a prayer breakfast that morning at 7. So I went to prayer breakfast and went back to the hospital, came back at 11 o'clock, preached, and went back to the hospital. And at 9 o'clock that night, my, my daughter was born. So so. so so it was an uneventful day. A <laughs> yeah, <we're> very uneventful. <laughs> Just really laid back every Sunday for, for a pastor. And, and you have four or five? We have four. Four, four children, mm-hmm. and they're all, they're all grown. They're right? all grown, yep. Baby girl just got married last year. Oh, wow. Yeah, know, living in Dallas. Hmm.
1: Well, tell us uh, a little bit about um, uh, Bethel as a church. Bethel's a historic church mm-hmm. here in our city. I mean, it remind me when it was founded. It was
3: 1904, March wow. 25th, 1904. Wow.
1: Yeah, been here just uh, a little bit longer than Shades, um,
3: <laughs> just a couple of months. Uh, yeah. But
1: uh, so, just tell us a little bit about Bethel as a as a church, and then especially, I know that uh, it's it's most famous for its uh, the the role that it mm-hmm. played uh, during the civil rights movement uh, here in Birmingham and, and Pastor Fred Shuttlesworth. So,
3: we'd love I'll, to. Hear I'll start it. with the present and go back. Uh, okay. right now we are in the collegial community and our goal in the community is to be a community church. Uh, we have people that come from many different places. Uh, the people that come to fathers come from Montgomery. They come from Montgomery to worship wow. with us. Mm. Uh, we're very thankful for that. They, they started out here and then they moved to Montgomery and they keep coming back. And wow. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Very, very faithful couple. But, uh, so what we're trying to do is minister in the community. We have a tutoring program, Uh, We feed a lot of kids on Wednesday nights because some of the kids in our community don't get food Mm -hmm. uh, on a regular basis. Uh, We do a lot of work in terms of doing Bible study and evangelism with the kids in the community uh, as well. Uh, We used to have a Boy Scout troop and a Girl Scout troop, but that sort of went down. But but I hope to reestablish something like that. We have a tutoring program that we do with some of the young girls and try to do with Tutoring, mentoring, uh, mentoring rather, with some of the kids, we run what's called Camp Bethel in the summer. What we do, math and reading. where we do, pre-tests, and then take them through a series of of um, exercises, and then we do post-tests to try to improve their reading skills. Because a lot of our kids in the in the summer lose what they have learned in the school year, so we try to be a bridge to help with that. In the past, uh, Bethel was known as a civil rights church. And, and we, still, we still are very active in terms of trying to get our people engaged politically. But we were known for Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, who in 1953 came to Bethel, stayed till 1961, and was the primary one who was fighting segregation at all points. Uh, he is the one that invited Dr. King down to Birmingham uh, he started demonstrating right after he got hit in '53. Uh, he started demonstrating because some of the services that he had requested for the community were not given to our community just because it was a black community. And so he began mm-hmm. to take on the the segregation system. His point was, we're we're paying taxes, we're good citizens, we're we're like everybody else. Why can't we get the services?
0: Mm-hmm. What were some of those services, if you don't
3: mind me asking? Um, street lights. Uh, sidewalks, uh, the right to vote, just little things mm-hmm. like that, police protection. Mm-hmm. It, it actually started from police protection. That's how he, he and Bull Connor initially tied up. Uh, there was a little night spot from what I hear in the community where just about every weekend or every other weekend someone was hurt, got in a fight, was stabbed or shot, whatever. And so he said, look, we need more police protection out here. Mm-hmm. He went to the city and was basically told we really don't care what happens to you out there. Mm. Mm. And, and so that's, that began, that that began him pushing against racial segregation. And so instead of like most people, they took on just bus, being able to ride the bus. He took on education. He took on voting. He took on employment. He took on everything. Wow. And for his efforts uh, in 1956, December 25th, 1956, his house and church were bombed. Mm. And then he kept going. In 1958, his church was bombed again. And then in 1961, it uh, was bombed for the third time. Wow. And so we, we have the distinction of being probably the most bombed place in America without any loss of life. And to the credit of the people at Bethel, no matter what went on, they never missed a service, not oh. ever. Even wow. if there were no windows in the church, they came. They swept up the glass. <laughs> Eleven o'clock on Sunday morning, they were having church.
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. So they were bombed during the week. They were bombed mm-hmm. at night when yeah. no one was yeah. in the building. Yeah.
3: And how? Well, the last time, the last time there were some kids downstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were rehearsing for a Christmas play. It was in December of 1961. And my organist, well, she retired. My organist was a, was a child, and she was down there. Wow. And they got trapped in the building.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow.
3: Did they all get out okay? They or did. did. They? Okay. The, the police did not want anybody to go in, but this organist, her father, you had to know him. Quiet man, but very determined. Mm. Very determined. And so he went in, he got his children out. Wow. So. So that's that's who we are. We've been recognized as a world. I mean, as a national historic landmark. We're on the. We were initially on the short list for World Heritage Site, which means we would be one of the most historic places in the world should we get that designation. We're still working through the process now. Depends on how things shape out politically, because the world has to vote on this, and wow. if we. If if we get our reputation back in the world, and maybe there's a chance that in the next ten years that we would be listed as a world heritage site, right? Which is one of the things I'm working for.
1: Now, the the facility that uh, y'all are in right now, I was able to come and visit y'all last year, and the facility y'all are in right now is a newer facility. But if I remember correctly, y'all still maintain that is correct the the older facility that was bombed and, and such. It is it maintained? Uh, like, like, can people come and and see it? Like, is oh, sure. it like a museum? Absolutely. And
3: yeah, it's. M- it, we we separated it from the regular church. It's a separate five hundred one c three. I have a separate board for that. Okay, uh, and I have a separate executive director. So anyone who wants to can call our executive director Dr. Mor- Dr. Martha Boyer, and we can set up tours. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we're working on doing virtual tours because it's right. sure, COVID nineteen, sure. mm-hmm. but. Uh, for a while, we, we had people from literally all across the world to come and visit us. Wow. From Spain, from Uganda, from Paraguay, uh, you name it just about, and we probably had visitors to come.
1: Wow. If anybody listening wanted more information, um, is there a dedicated website?
3: Yeah. For uh, the Historic Bethel. No. You would ask me that. <laughs> uh, I think it's thehistoricbethel.org. We'll okay. put we'll put the link <laughs> yeah. at the bottom <laughs> we'll, of the podcast. We'll look it up. <laughs> yeah, we'll make yeah, sure you're right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the right it's thehistoricbethel.org.
1: Well, we'll include a link for um, for your church as well, okay. um, mm-hmm. for for sure. That would be great. Well, I think one of the um, things we'd love to hear from you is obviously. We're in the midst of a moment of much social unrest over uh, issues uh, that continue on issues of, of injustice and issues of racism. And uh, I, I would love to hear just how you have been personally pastoring your church, uh, given all of its history and, and that just kind of through. I mean, this is a challenging mm-hmm. moment enough with COVID 19 and. And all the challenges that presents in pastoring, but but with everything kind of added on top of that, in the midst of an election year, what what if what has been your approach to pastoring your people? What do you keep trying to point them back to? And, and
3: yeah, I, I want people to to understand partly the history of this and. I also want people, and, and because we do what we do at Historic Bethel, it hadn't changed a whole lot because we, we tell the story of Historic Bethel and uh, voter suppression, and uh, my mom, for example, grew up in Wilcox County, and one of the things that happened to her in Wilcox County is that she was the seventh of 13 children. Her My grandmother was 20 years younger than my grandfather, so my grandfather died fairly early. And so my grandmother's left with 13 kids that she's got to take care of in Wilcox County. Well, one of the things they would do is that they would hire the kids out to work on farms of different places. Well, one of the places where my mom worked, you would work on the farm and they wouldn't pay you in dollars. They would pay you in tokens that you could only spend at their store. And so you would take the money to their store Well, the price is inflated at their store to begin with. And then you can't take the money someplace else. Wow. Uh, so, so it's it's sort of an institutional right, kind mm-hmm. of, of of situation, and that's sort of what we try to address the institutional issues. Uh, you know, there, there's a big controversy about tearing down monuments and things, and I understand why people say that. But to, to, to me, the the laws and the institutions need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've I've walked by many statues, and they don't do anything to me, but. But but the laws are on the book. I, I told you I grew up in an environment that was fairly segregated. I I remember uh, getting books after they were used from across town, and sometimes the pages were torn out. Sometimes the Sally Dick y'all, y'all probably know know Sally Dick and Jane. But but when I was a kid, <laughs> Sally Dick and Jane were the books that you read out of. Mm. Well, sometimes the books would have Sally's face blacked in, or sometimes you would have a racial epithet in the. Book or sometimes the, the covers were torn off. Um, I remember not being able to go inside of places to get waited on. If you get, if you got waited on, you were either to the side or at the back. And if you came up front, even if you came up front outside, you could not get waited on because they just did not wait on people that looked like you. Mm-hmm. I remember going in stores and being followed because people thought you were going to steal something. You know, th- those kinds of things I do remember from, from childhood. I, I remember going to a school when I went to the, to, the, to the old white school. I remember one of my teachers could not pronounce the word Negro. And you know, it, it, it's, it's just one of those things you, you deal with. Uh, I remember back in my spelling class, we were one of the other things we did. We did, in addition to calling out words, is that we would go through countries in our little spelling book, and she would ask each of us to pronounce the word. Well, the word this day was Nigeria, hmm. uh, it was a country in Africa, Nigeria. Well, this kid swore he could not pronounce the word Nigeria. And you can imagine what it came out to be. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying the word. I even remember his face and uh, him saying the word. And I said at the back because we were alphabetized. Uh, and I remember him saying the word and the other kids laughing and him looking back at me. Um, you know, it's 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 just it's it's what you deal with. It's what you grow up with. It's it's not something that you spent a lot of time rehearsing. So I'm, I'm answering your question to my congregation. I don't spend a lot of time talking to them about all of the ills of society because I, I think most of the people there are fairly familiar with them. We we have people that are in their 80s, 90s. I have one that just turned 100 back in April. Wow. So, so they are very familiar. They were there with Shuttlesworth. They marched. They knew what voter suppression was like. They were there, some of them, when, when the church was bombed. Uh, they have been beaten. So, like I said, my organist, she still got the scars on her legs from when the bomb went off. So I don't have wow. to tell them that. What, what I'm trying to tell them is, okay, how do you take what you're dealing with and then how do you take what the Bible says and move forward? Uh, there, We do have to deal with things such as, the, Ham- the Hamitic curse I'm, I'm not sure you've heard of that but one of the, the theologies used to be that black people were cursed and due to be slaves because when Ham looked on his father father's nakedness that that curse put on him by Noah just carried through all black people throughout the rest of the world mm-hmm. and and so there was a theology that this is the Bible, that the Bible says you're supposed to be cursed, that the Bible says you're supposed to be your servant, and the Bible says that you should be obedient to your masters in all things. But they forgot the verse that says, Masters, give to your servants that which is just and what is right, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And and, and so we have to deal with those things. I have, to, I have to deal sometimes with a younger generation who are moving some of them towards the the more uh, african religions because christianity for a lot of them was used to keep the slaves in line and and they don't know about the jesus of christianity they know the institution of christianity and how the institution of christianity was used and so i have to get them back to what the bible says yes there are people Mm. that take money and use it for wrong purposes but you don't throw away your money you you, mm-hmm. you you go back and you use it for its rightful purpose. And so we, we spend time trying to talk about those issues and trying to teach them how to navigate their own frustrations with, uh, with poverty in some cases, with uh, being in situations where uh, there's drugs and, and just chaos all around you. They, they, they see their friends getting shot uh, before their faces. Parents in some cases are not there. So, so you've got all of this to deal with, and then you have in some institutions of racism. So mm-hmm. telling them what they already know doesn't make a lot of sense. Our job is to try to tell them, okay, this is a list of people, this is the history of people who have gone through worse things than you've gone through. Many of them, like Dr. King, like, Re- like Reverend Shuttlesworth, Use the Bible to come out of it. Now, if they could do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So, so let's move forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No what? Um, that's. I, I just hearing your confidence in Scripture and your your call to come back to Scripture to not let what people have done the way people have manipulated scripture um, be the lens through which we see Jesus, but to actually see Jesus for who he is, it's just such a good reminder. Believe it or not, I can remember as a, I was probably eight or nine years old. I remember hearing the theology of the Midic curse Mm. for the first time from a friend's father of mine who was, very racist and he uh, he knew I was pastor's kid and he began to talk to me about this to ask if I'd ever heard of mm. this and did I not think that this was correct I was blown away mm. um, and so I mean it, it's still very much something that is in the ether and, and to call it out and to address it uh, in accordance with what scripture really says it's just such a good call and reminder to all of us um, and to try and see our world through the lens of the Bible right. instead of seeing the Bible through the lens of our exactly world. Right. Um, I wonder if kind of here to conclude our conversation, if you couldn't share with us just a uh, counsel that you give to other pastors um, during this time, and these days. Uh, I know that you have... Uh, more relationships and friendships beyond myself with other pastors. Mm -hmm. And I know there's even, uh, you've told me before about a special relationship that your church shares Mm -hmm. with another church in our our city, um, a church that's majority white. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I would just love to hear kind of the counsel you've offered to other pastors uh, during these days of where should we be putting our focus and how should we be leading uh, our people at this time
3: one of the things that that i think is always important and is important to me is is truth is, is god's truth and what we try to do and what i try to do and what i try to the way i try to live my life is is to find god's truth in it and then to go with that um, as, as an example i'll give you two examples one was is a personal example there was a lady in our church who I thought was mean spirited. And when I first came, anything she could do seemed like to hurt me, she would.
1: I I can't relate as a yeah, I know I relate. you everybody loves you, <laughs> just right? Just to be clear,
3: no
2: one like that at Shades Valley. We just want to be clear.
3: <laughs> but one of the things she told me is that that I was unfriendly. Hmm. And that really hurt my feelings. And it hurt my feelings because of what she said and the way she said it. But then I began to just pray about it and to look at it from a truth standpoint. And the only issue that I I boiled it down to is, is she telling the truth or is she not? And the bottom line was, she was telling the truth that, that I appeared unfriendly, as I told you, I don't typically don't smile a lot. Don't talk a lot. And people perceive that as being unfriendly. Um, my wife talks about that all the time. Not all the time, but she's talked to me about it. You know, you don't smile and people don't think you're friendly. I'm actually a friendly person. I just don't smile a lot. Um, <laughs>
1: Especially when compared with your
3: wife. Yeah. My hurting. wife. Yeah. She's <laughs> she's a pretty woman, so she can smile a lot. Um, but, 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 but I had to deal with the fact that she was telling the truth, whether I like, who it came from, or I like the way she said it. She was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And and when I look at life, I try to deal with truth. I I, I I'd be lying to you if I tell you I didn't grow up an angry young man. I did. I was I was because of the segregation and where mm-hmm. I came from. I was angry. Mm-hmm. The the man that that God helped me. The God, man, the man that God sent to help me a lot was a white man and i think that was god helping me to deal with truth as i got older and and dealt with the, the issue of slavery i uh, read a book or a portion of a book by a nigerian and he said that many of the slaves that came out of africa were not captured by the europeans they were captured by Europe, by nigerians who would capture smaller tribes sell them to a european in, in exchange for guns and other things that they needed uh, my son just came from Nigeria this past summer, and he said he met there another Nigerian who said to him, said, I hate to tell you, but my family was one of the ones that was involved in the slave trade. Mm. The, and the truth I'm getting to is that it, the, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's God's truth. Now, if if I'm in an environment where I can abuse someone because of their skin color and get rich, then I'll do that because first, I love money, and second, I may feel like they're second-class citizens. But there are other people also uh, who may look like me who do things for money and they're just as detrimental. And if I'm going to be a person of truth, then I have to address both issues. I, I cannot just say, well, you're doing this because you don't look like me and not address people in my neighborhood who sell drugs to kids. Okay? Mm-hmm. If, if, if I'm going to be a person of truth and I believe when I stand before God, God is going to ask me about truth, not about white truth or black truth or red truth or uh, any other kind of truth, but the truth of his word. And, and that's what I want to hold true to. What, what is true from God's perspective? Now, I I may need to deal with some cultures or or maybe there are some things that uh, may be more pronounced in one culture than another. Yeah, I may may have to deal with those in truth, but I have to stay firmly committed to God's truth because that that is the only thing. I think that is redemptive And, and were it not for the fact that I firmly believe with all of my heart that God is no respecter of persons, that God' truth stands for everybody, I, I would not, I know I would not be a Christian. I would not be a minister because I, mm. I, I could not live this life if I did not believe that what God said is true for every person. Mm.
0: Uh,
3: if, if, I, if I believed that the gospel was colorized, then I would be something else, mm. and I'd be a militant something else, too. That's who I am. I'm wow for the things of God, and that's the way I think you ought to live. You ought to live passionately. Whatever you do, live it passionately. Mm. So I try to live the gospel passionately.
0: Now, I know Jonathan said that we're reaching the conclusion, but mm-hmm. he's a pastor, so that doesn't mean anything. <laughs>
3: that's his first conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. My we first m- closing, yeah. We might have a,
0: f- a few more questions. And, sure. You know, John Mark, have any questions? Uh, one question I have is uh, some would say that the church should just preach the gospel and not get involved in social justice. Uh, the church, churches or pastors, they, they shouldn't protest. How would you respond to someone who says this?
3: I'm not saying everybody should protest. Uh, one, Jonathan asked me what advice would I give some of the other pastors. I've, I've met with uh, a good friend of mine and have done similar videos like like we're doing today and said we're not doing video but but one of the things that that I tell them is that maybe everybody's not meant for the street Uh, Reverend Shuttlesworth developed what he called the 10 commandments of the Alabama Christian movement for for human rights and one of the things he said was that you have to refrain from violence a fist of tongue and of heart everyone cannot do that if you're out protesting and if you're rushed by someone or if someone spits on you, everybody can't take it. And if you can't take it, you don't need to be out in the street. Everyone can do something. You can write a letter, you can talk to friends, you can do a sermon, whatever. When it, when it comes to how we should respond and what we should do, we have to be led by God as to what our purpose is. To say I'm just preaching the gospel and I'm not involved in justice mm-hmm. is a farce, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. B- because, you know, Michael 6 and 8, uh, you, you look yes. at other verses that talk about justice and righteousness must work together. I, I was preaching yesterday from Psalm 24, and it says, Lord, who shall ascend into that tabernacle, and who shall dwell on the holy hill, he that hath clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, who has not sworn deceitfully. Those things are in the middle of this great celebration of, Of it was actually written by David as he was taking the ark back up to Zion, but but it's, it's, it's figurative of that day when we will all enter into uh, our eternal kingdom, and it talks about having a clean hand. So, so how can you tell me, I'm just preaching the gospel, but yet... You're making money off of people who are taking advantage of other people, or you are turning a blind eye, or and I'm not preaching the Old Testament, but I'm just giving this as an example. There was an example in the Old Testament that said, you should not bring the high of a harlot into the temple of God. Well, th- th- there were certain kinds of money that God said, I don't want. So if if you're out, and if you're paying your minister, and you are encouraging him or her to, to say to you, don't preach about this, don't preach about whatever, and I'll continue to give you money, that's not much different. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I'm passionate. I'm, I'm old enough now I can say what I want to say. Uh, that's, that's just the way it goes. That's, that's the benefit of getting older. I don't have to apologize. But, but it's the same thing to me. Yeah. It is It is the exact good. same thing to me. It, 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 it's it's the same thing to me, that that we as ministers have to be confident enough in God's ability to take care of us or have another job to where we can tell God's truth. Mm. And and we have to be able to tell God's truth. We have to be able to to deal with moral issues as well as economic issues and sometimes political issues. We have to be able to tell the truth. and And if God's pulpit is contaminated or if it is bought, then it no longer is God's pulpit. It's mm. the people's pulpit. Mm. and we're not called to be the people's pulpit. We're called to be God's pulpit. Mm. And we and we we've got to remember that cuz we won't answer to them ultimately. We will not answer to them. We will answer to God Almighty. Mm. And and we want our hands clean. We don't want the blood of anybody on our hands because we failed to tell them the truth or we failed to intercede for them. I'm not saying beat people across the head, but but we have to tell the truth. We have to. Mm.
1: If you'd just like to take the rest of our
3: time to preach. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm
0: a little upset that we didn't bring the worship band in today. Right. Because it right. feels like we right. might need to invite them up on the stage at this point. Be an altar call. Maybe give an altar That's call after on. that.
3: I get a little passionate.
1: No, <laughs> no, it's fantastic. No, I mean, Amazing. I, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, so so we've been going through Revelation. I was just even thinking about yesterday, uh, us talking about God, uh, God's kingdom coming. Mm-hmm. And ultimate righteousness and justice coming. I mean, this is this is the conclusion of the gospel, right? Is yeah. that he makes all things new. And that includes there being a, a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, mm-hmm. in which justice is done. And I'm just sitting here going, like, how can we bear witness to that gospel in word and not have deeds that match it? Not have deeds right. that bear witness to the the truth that that that's the kind of kingdom we're preaching, the kind of Absolutely. kingdom that's coming i I tell I, I i try to tell our people all the time that that you can't that, that, let me phrase it Jesus said you will always have the poor with you. Mm-hmm. it's a, it's an illusion that we're going to cure poverty before Christ comes or that we're going to rid the world of its ills or evils or of all of its injustices. But that doesn't mean like Jesus, when he says you'll always have the poor with you, isn't saying, so don't give to the poor, don't fight poverty, Mm -hmm. but we have a different motivation. We have a different reason for why we do these things. And our reason is to bear witness. We fight poverty to bear witness to the truth that one day poverty will be eliminated. Mm-hmm. We fight injustice, we fight racism, we fight all of these different things to testify to the truth that there's a kingdom coming in which righteousness dwells. And so so I I just uh, as I listen to you, it just it's a reminder of me of the truth that I, I feel like we can't preach the gospel with any kind of integrity if our deeds aren't bearing witness right. to to that mm-hmm. reality. I, I agree as with well. You. I mean, Jesus came preaching, yes. But he also healed the sick and and demonstrated Very and bore true. witness to, to
3: to the type of kingdom that was mm-hmm. was
1: coming. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, and, yeah. and just so so good. man, I just so good. A
3: verse. I, I love the verse in James that says, "Pure religion, James one." I want to say around um, twenty seven somewhere along there. Pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction mm-hmm. and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. To, to visit the fatherless and the widows, and those three words are very important, in their affliction, in their time of need. Mm-hmm. So it's not just keeping yourself unspotted from the world. You've got to do something. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't see your... 1 John says, you know, how can you say you love God and and not hate and not uh, and hate your brother. And then there's another verse that says that that if you see your brother in need and you say to your brother, "Be warm and be filled," and you don't give him the things that are needful, for how dwells the love of God in you? Mm-hmm. So and then again, I don't want to go on, but you know, please do. The story. <laughs> <laughs> what Jesus is giving the illustration at the end time, he said, "Come and enter the kingdom of my Father." For I was hungry. And you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison. You came to visit me. He did not say you came to me and you preached the gospel, but you, you, you did, you lived the gospel to me. And and that's gotta be vital. Mm-hmm. It's, it's gotta be vital. You look at the apostles at the beginning of Acts that with many signs and wonders and with demonstrations, they share the gospel. Yes. One time they prayed, Lord, um, uh, Testify of your son Jesus by, by stretching forth your hands to heal and let many things be done in, in his name. And, and so to, to say, okay, I'm going to stay in the church and I'm going to preach about the sweet by and by, <laughs> and you don't deal anything with the nasty here and now, mm. I, I'm not sure how you can do that. I'm, I'm just not. Maybe, maybe I'm just not old enough or educated enough to know it, but I, I just don't see how you can do that.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. As we wrap up, I was curious, are there some resources that you could give us, books that you've read? This this could be on anything, on theology, this could be on uh, racial injustice or racial reconciliation within the church, um, any of those topics. Is there is there anything you could give us um, and for our listeners to look into? There
3: are lots of history books out there. Um, one was written by a woman who is from here that, <laughs> she didn't come back very much because she, she called names in a book. Um, mm. It's called Carry Me Home by Diane McWhorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she calls names of people that were involved and not involved in the civil rights movement and what they did. There's a book about Reverend Shuttlesworth called Fire You Can't Put Out that was written by a man named Andrew Manis. They're looking at trying to make that into a movie now. There's another book by a guy named Dr. Glenn Eskew called But for Birmingham. And that title came from a meeting at the White House with Senator John Kennedy as he was getting, and not, not President, John, President Kennedy, as he was getting ready to sign up an important piece of legislation. He began the meeting with But for Birmingham, we would not be here. So it chronicles all the things that led up to that. Uh, there, there's a book called Slavery by Another Name. Uh, there, there's just so many books out there that chronicle things that now i will forewarn you that some of them are hard read because mm-hmm. they sure. they come right at you yeah. mm-hmm. and and they tell you things that you're not told in school or that have been changed uh, in school but but they they tell you a history that sometimes we want to run away from mm-hmm. but it's it's just there in black and white
0: mm-hmm. Or those, if you don't mind me asking, John, like I said, another conclusion, but it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> a room of pastors, reading or or reading some of those works, or is that hard for you? Uh, yes. you bring up memories? Yes. Um,
3: yeah. One of my uh, Jonathan mentioned the church that we have a partnership with, uh, is Mountain Brook Community Church. Tim Callum, Tim and I were doing a podcast, video podcast, and he asked me if I had watched all of George Floyd's uh, video when he was killed yeah. and I told him quite frankly no and I don't plan on watching it because mm-hmm. it, it it brings up things that I that need to die um, in me I've, I've never watched all of roots for the same reason uh, there's just certain things I don't watch uh, some of those things, not to that extreme but some of those things i lived through and i don't need to be reminded of them mm-hmm. I, you, you don't need to tell me how it feels to feel like somebody's foot is on your neck and you can't breathe while everybody sits by and watch mm-hmm. i i don't i don't need to watch that to know how that feels i, t- mm-hmm. I don't and so I, there's just certain things i don't go back to now mm-hmm. yeah thomas
1: what, what- do you find like, one of the things that has impressed upon me just even as we've had this conversation is just um your constant quotation of scripture. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm just curious, uh you, you mentioned how there are certain places you can't go to, um, because of what it brings up. Where where do you most commonly go to
3: for hope? Always to the scriptures. Always. Um the the man that helped me when I was very young issued a challenge in our youth group. Every week we met on Tuesday night. And every week he gave us a different scripture to memorize, memorize. And I'm a unfortunately very competitive person. And I made up in my mind I would if you didn't memorize the scripture that week, he would you had that one and another one. And my goal was never to have the same scripture for for a week. Mm-hmm. So if he gave it to me one week, the next week I had it down, because I just I didn't want to have to do the scriptures twice, and and that helped to help me to learn a lot of scriptures, but also just in my own spiritual battles in areas where I have needed comfort from God's word or to need something to regulate my mind, I will find a scripture that applies to that, and I would commit it to memory, and 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 that's why I guess I learned so many scriptures because I've had so many battles and that's, that's the only place I could go for, for peace and, and to make my mind stable and not to go to an extreme either way. I I had to go to the conference of God's word because it was the only thing that brought the peace that I needed.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, Thomas, I just, I'm so grateful for you coming and being with us today and just for constantly pointing us back to the hope that we have in Christ that we see through the scriptures just throughout this conversation. Um, and uh, if it's okay, uh,
3: could I ask you to pray for us? Sure. To Absolutely. Close I'd love to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your eternal word, uh, the word that is good for all men and all women. The word, Father, that has endured time and it has endured many circumstances and will endure until the end. I thank you now for my brothers as we have shared together. And I do pray for them. I pray for every part of their lives. And then I pray in every part of their lives that you might make yourself known to them in their families, in their private lives, in their public life, in the struggles that they may have, and even in their victories. I pray your hand upon Shades Valley Community Church, that your spirit would just abide in everything that they do because you led everything they do, and because you got it. Uh, I do pray that you would lead them, guide them into what is pleasing in your sight. And as they follow that, I do know you will anoint it, you will bless it, you will make it increase and multiply for their effectiveness in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. And I pray for them too, in Jesus' name, amen.